0: zero waste, circular economy, and designing after nature really is the way to go.
1: Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Genere. And I'm Robin Shaw, and this is the Hate Change Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by my favorite skincare line, Lux Botanics. Lux Botanics are beauty activists featuring rare and transformational botanicals that have been globally sourced and sustainably harvested while taking action to support local communities and safeguard the environment. Each botanical has been selected for its purity, scientific performance, and clinical efficacy, targeting specific skin concerns while balancing and protecting the skin. Plus, proceeds from every Lux Botanics purchase goes back to the communities that harvest their incredible ingredients. They support and empower women and children from those communities by providing textbooks, uniforms, shoes, nutritious meals, access to healthcare and job training through their partnership with Buy One, Give One. Lux Botanics is offering Hey Change podcast listeners 15% off with code hey Change. With carbon-neutral shipping through ShopPay, get ready to fall in love with the vegan, organic, cruelty-free, and ethically sourced, high-performance skincare line that is Lux Botanics.
2: We are so excited to share this conversation with you. Robin did a solo interview with Kendall Starkman, director of Next Wave Plastics, a consortium of companies convened by the award-winning nonprofit Lonely Whale.
1: I got to learn all about how Next Wave members are committed to keeping plastic in the economy and out of the ocean by integrating recycled ocean-bound plastic into their products Kendall strengthens the network of ocean-bound plastic suppliers to drive forward innovation and near-term impact for our oceans, helping to turn off the tap on ocean-bound plastic. Kendall has a Master's of Environmental
2: Management from the Nicholas School of the Environment at Duke University and previously worked on climate adaption and resilience, where she helped companies and cities navigate the complexities of climate change. You are going to love hearing about what these companies are doing to integrate climate solutions into their business models. So get ready to feel optimistic about what is possible as we address ocean plastic and help our oceans thrive. Let's dive in.
1: I was floored to learn some of the numbers about how much plastic is in our oceans. So we learned from next waves executive summary that there are 86 million metric tons of plastic currently in our oceans and over 8 million metric tons more entering our oceans each year. The plastic industry is still producing over 300 million metric tons of new plastic every year. And when I read that, it was horrifying because here, you know, you're learning like we have existing plastic in our oceans and in our ecosystems causing harm, and there's still a huge amount of new plastic being made. And then enter Next Wave. Can you tell us about Next Wave's mission and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you really highlighted the reason that we exist.
0: Um, And really, our mission is to turn off the tap on ocean plastic pollution, because that 8 million metric tons that's entering the ocean every year, I mean, just to make it a little more real, that's equivalent to more than one garbage truck full of plastic being dumped into the ocean every single minute. So really, the, the... impetus on us right now is to really be able to actually stop that flow of plastic from entering the ocean in the first place. Because before it gets to the ocean, that plastic still has value in terms of being collect. It's easier to collect. It's it's cleaner and easier to recycle. And so really, Next Wave Plastics was created looking at that as an opportunity. And it it's this consortium of multinational brands. They're convened by Lonely Whale, the organization that I worked for, and all of these companies are gathering in this openness and a spirit of collaboration and transparency to decrease the volume of plastic entering the ocean by integrating ocean-bound plastic into their products and developing a global network of ocean-bound plastic supply chains. And so really the way that these companies are demonstrating that plastic that's really vulnerable to ending up in the ocean has value is by investing in these supply chains and showing that it can be collected, recycled, and permanently locked up into premium quality products from office chairs to backpacks to mountain bike handlebar grips, you name it. There's so many different things we can be doing with this. Um, and so that's what these companies are here to do. And they're doing it together so that no, none of them have to do it alone. I'll tell you who our members are.
1: Yeah. Please. yeah. So
0: just so you know, like who, who even is a part of this. So it was founded really in partnership with Dell technologies, but we, it includes Herman Miller, HP, human scale, Ikea is a member as well as interface. They do carpet Trek bikes. So that was, those are those mountain bike groups as well as um, SoulGuard is a travel goods company, Boreo and CPI card group. CPI makes credit cards for a lot of the big banks. So um, yeah, just a diversity cross-industry group, all sorts of different things, but it's really so that none of them have to try and figure it out on themselves. They can try and work through this issue together.
1: That's amazing. So they're collecting plastic from the ocean and turning it into products that will last for much longer. So that's things like the single use plastic that, you know, like plastic bags and, you know, cups and things that end up in the ocean. And they're able to turn that into products that would last much longer is what I'm hearing in terms of like well, by candles and credit cards and things that are like not single use.
0: Yes, it pretty much you've almost nailed it generally, they're sourcing the plastic. So some of them are working with suppliers who are collecting plastic from the ocean, in which case they can call that ocean plastic. But once plastic has actually gotten to the ocean, it's exposed to the salt water and sunlight, it's becoming degraded, it's higher to then actually, it's it's harder to then recycle that. And so that's where the ocean bound plastic terminology kind of comes in. And the definition there is really that it's recycled plastic that has been recovered from coastal areas. So it's being collected within 30 miles of a coast, but about 50 kilometers. And it's, it's coming from places with insufficient waste management systems. So it's considered mismanaged waste. It's coming from places like Indonesia, Haiti, you know, Honduras, uh, Cameroon, the Philippines, where their ability to collect and properly dispose of plastic waste is just is not comprehensive enough to prevent plastic from entering the ocean. And and that's really where, you know, we're driving value to the collection. So we're turning off the tap versus trying to clean up it's, there's an analogy about like, if you have a bathtub that's overflowing, you don't start like scooping up the water and cleaning up the floor, like you turn off the tap first. And so that's, that's really where we're kind of putting this energy and this, this market based solution forward.
1: That's amazing. And that makes so much sense. That analogy is so helpful for, you know, the everyday person to understand, like, of course you don't just start taking little pieces out of the bath, of course, you would turn off the tap first. So that's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about Lonely Whale. So Lonely Whale was behind the famous campaign hashtag Stop Sucking, which was designed to raise awareness around single-use plastic, starting with the plastic straw. It gained a lot of traction, and some restaurants went as far as to even ban the straw in their restaurant, which was had the side note challenge for Some people were impacted who are living with disabilities and they rely on straws to drink. And the point of the campaign was obviously not to remove all straws everywhere. It was to examine our relationship to single-use plastics. And I think that's so important to highlight and to come back to. It's about our mindfulness, you know, our relationship to how we're using things every day. So, um, in your opinion, how does raising awareness around individual actions lead to bigger impacts like inclusive policies that benefit people and the planet.
0: Oh my gosh, that's such a great question and really takes this whole thing to the next level. I mean, just starting with you know, stop sucking and that campaign. I I think what's really amazing is it was about getting people to think differently and and really getting people to start thinking about the stuff that that they interact with every day that they might even not even notice. you know Lonely well is an incubator for courageous ideas that drive impactful market-based change on behalf of our ocean. So you know that's really the, the connective tissue that connects you know next wave with these um, these campaigns that are really trying to start a conversation
1: and a movement. Can and, you say that one more time? What Lonely Whale's mission is, because that was so beautiful and it just encapsulated <laughs> so nicely. I just want to hear it slower. one more time. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. absolutely.
0: So we consider ourselves an incubator for courageous ideas that drive impactful, market-based change on behalf of the ocean, and we really try and do that through radical collaboration and through thinking through like some of these ideas of like, how, how do we get people to just think differently and question their behavior? Not necessarily saying like, this is good or this is bad, but really saying like, just take a moment to think about the impact of the straw. Let, let us tell you more about why this is important for us to be thinking about it because straws are like particularly sneaky. They are really, really good at finding their way out of trash bags and out of the trash system, and um, into the environment. So it was, the, and a lot of times people don't, might not even want straws. So it was, it was this great test case, and it really got people thinking and talking. I mean, the campaign itself reached seventy-four million people. There were policy changes in over a hundred cities, counties, states, and countries, and you know more than a hundred restaurants and venues have pledged to go strawless. I think we've, we've kind of measured the like totals for how many straws have been eliminated from the waste stream as being about 20 billion single-use plastic straws. So, you know, it wasn't perfect and nothing that's like black and white is going to necessarily be like the only answer. And obviously straws are just one part of the problem, but it was a way to capture people's attention and get them thinking about the role that plastic plays in their lives so that was kind of a a big part of that
1: yeah and that's the thing that's so amazing is that something it seems so simple if you see something on social media or you see something that's starting to happen but when all of us when you have millions of eyeballs on something and we all start thinking about our relationship to something that for many of us straws are superfluous we don't really need them to drink now for some people if they're necessary maybe part of the conversation for you know for people who are living with disabilities it's you know, be mindful to bring your own straws because restaurants may start to not have them. So it's this beautiful balance of like, how can we honor where everybody's at? And just, I love the concept of like, it's not about finding perfect solutions. It's about raising our consciousness, raising awareness so that we can have really proper, meaningful dialogue around what are we doing in our everyday lives that is having a negative impact on the planet and therefore each other. And how can we be more mindful? How can we make changes? How can we create policy? So I think that's incredible. I, you know, the work that Lonely was is doing is so exciting.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, I think what's what's key is also a key focus of, of that campaign in particular was also about like, okay, but what are the alternatives? Like, how do we look to other options to, you know, fill that gap? And, I think that that's true across the board uh, like you know a lot of plastic gets used just out of convenience or the status quo rather than being able to kind of f- just think about kind of something that's equally as easy but um but might be you know accessible or and and help to drive some of that. I think one thing I did want to bring up about this conversation around like impacts and inclusive policies that like really benefit people. I was thinking about this ahead of time, and was just thinking about um, one of the coolest ways that Lonely Well does this is through the Ocean Heroes Bootcamp. And I think that one of the one of the ways that I'm trying to tie this in on the inclusivity is really, you know, bringing people to the table and giving them the tools that they need to create the change that they actually see in their own communities that can be customized for their situation. And Lonely Well runs in in partnership with. number of other nonprofits. We run the Ocean Heroes Camp, which is a youth program that basically engages youth ages 11 to 18 and gets them, basically puts the campaign tools that we put into practice and in stop sucking in our hydrate like a mother campaign. We basically put the tools in their hands for how they can affect, um, you know, plastic use in their communities in their schools, in their local businesses, in their local governments and train them how to on how to like tell those stories, how to be influencers in their communities. And through this boot camp since 2018, we've trained 1200 youth from 68 countries, which has led to 168 active campaigns. So over 150, either individual kids or groups of kids who are like actively working within their communities to make change with regard to plastic, because it's something that's so near and dear to their hearts. And so, I mean, it's amazing. I know when I was in high school, I was like, not nearly as cool as half these people are. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's a good way just to think about like, you know, okay, how do you put the power in the hands of people who really can get behind this and envision a future that's that's different than, you know, what any any one person is going to see because we need this diversity of approaches basically
1: definitely and empowering young people is so important because obviously they inherit the future that you know that we're leaving behind um but also young people i f- have this sense that they haven't like hardened to this is the way things are mm-hmm. you know a lot of like i just see it with my own son who's still a child he's almost 4 but seeing his level of imagination and knowing you know what it's like to be a young person and believe that anything's possible we need people who believe that anything's possible because actually everything is (laughs) but sometimes as adults we forget that like just because this is the way things are that doesn't mean that this is the way things have to be totally yeah um in terms of in terms of like individual changes that people can make what do you think are some of the important ways that, you know, as individuals, we can curb our reliance on plastics?
0: Yeah, I'll start out with what you already know. Uh, first and foremost, reduce. Don't buy what you don't need. I mean, and honestly, that that isn't just in terms of plastic. It definitely is. But it's in terms of, you know, things in general. Just the, and, and what's really great, though, is right now, I think there's all these cool ways to not have to buy new necessarily, so even when you do need to buy things, looking to resale markets that are increasingly available with like really you know great great stuff. I know there's incredible initiatives from like IKEA or REI where they're starting to work on um, you know being able to offer some of the used goods that their customers have purchased, and then you know are able to bring back and resell. So looking to those options, whether they're online or in person. Um, And then, you know, when it comes to buying plastic, I think a lot of it too is about sending the right messages to, you know, vote with your dollar. So um, two things I would say are buy recycled and buy recyclable. Um, There's kind of these two aspects of it. So on the buy recycled side, it's buying products like the ones from the Next Wave companies that are made with ocean-bound plastic. Looking for post-consumer recycled content, or PTR, P, sorry, or PCR in the like packaging that of the containers that you're buying. I think that you know one of the things I was talking about with Next Wave, like Next Wave member companies are investing in ocean-bound plastic supply chains to demonstrate that that material that would be ending up in the ocean has value so you can show those companies that you also value that material recovery when you need to buy new products seeing what options are available that contain that recycled content and then on the other side where I was talking about buying recyclable there's a lot of it too where you know you there's this awareness of like okay having the time to educate yourself on what is recyclable and then purchase those goods intentionally. You know, we all have been learning about how recycling isn't magic. Like only 9% of plastic ever made has been recycled. It's devastating, but these systems can work. And if we continue to feed into them in a way, in the right way, it, it makes sense. I think some good signs of progress in this area are really that Many products are using the how to recycle label, which is fantastic because it actually breaks it down for you. It's not the mysterious, like, you know, numbers in the recycle symbol that you have no idea what they mean. It really is telling you where to put things. So, yeah, I mean, I think some easy ones to know is that aluminum is a great choice. It's infinitely recyclable and actually gets recycled. So, you know, choosing aluminum. Um choosing the chocolate bar that's packaged in paper instead of plastic. And then if you have to buy plastic, knowing that structured containers in clear or lighter colors are better. So for example, one thing I've been trying to do, I know a lot of recycling uh, centers don't recycle cartons, like milk cartons that you know you get at the grocery store, um, but clear milk jugs, like gallons, the like harder gallons,
1: yeah, you those might make like orange juice or things like that as well, like that kind of, like those kinds of jugs?
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's the carton that's more the like long rectangle and then there's the the plastic jug. A lot of places won't recycle the cartons um, and they still have plastic in them. They've got a layer of thin film in between the, the paper and wax layers. But the, the hard case jugs are highly recyclable um, and they're made from high density polyethylene. And so knowing like looking up what your local recycling facility does and then choosing the item that's more recyclable, even though it like it may feel like it has more plastic, may end up kind of moving us in the right direction so that you're kind of feeding into a a waste stream that like has a place to go and it has value. Um, That's kind of the more of the gray area that that I feel like is key with plastic. It's like, yes. Use less, that's better. But when you're choosing between two things that do have plastic in them, choosing the more recyclable option is really the way to go.
1: Definitely. Thank you for that. I so appreciate that because it was honestly not until recently that I really looked up like, okay, you know, I'm in a new community in Ontario, Canada, like what is the recycling about here versus where Mm -hmm. I was in Florida, versus where we were in New York, Um, and not just kind of assuming there's this, you know, those numbers, as we learned, actually, in another episode about microplastics, those numbers have to do with the plastic content, not how recyclable it is. And so it's really important to get really clear on how your own municipality recycles, not just what the number says. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's really helpful to know that distinction. So thank you. Um, I want to talk for a moment about plastic credits. Can you explain what plastic credits are and what plastic neutrality means? Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, you did. Yeah. So um, I'll start with plastic neutrality and then move towards credits. So plastic neutrality is basically this concept that an individual or a company can reach a neutral impact for their plastic use. By either eliminating that plastic altogether, or by purchasing credits or offsets for their plastic consumption, and oftentimes those credits or offsets are supporting initiatives that then would collect and properly dispose of an equivalent amount of plastic elsewhere. So this con- the concept is very similar to offsetting your carbon footprint with carbon credits. Um, you know that it's basically applying those same principles to the plastic pollution problem. Yeah. So that's kind of what it's about. I mean, there's many companies out there who are offering plastic credits. Some, you know, are doing better than others, but there's a cool opportunity for them to, you know, contribute to the collection of some of the, especially some of the plastic that I was talking about that doesn't have value in a recycling system. So some of the thin film or multi-layer packaging, like a lot of the, the, wrappers that you see that, um, that kind of have a metallic layer to them. It was like the multi-layer stuff. That stuff just doesn't have value. It isn't recyclable. And so oftentimes in many places where they don't have good trash collection and disposal, it just ends up in, you know, in the street, in the environment. And so there's this opportunity for us to direct that value towards, or the, the like, you know, the credits and the offsets towards the collection of that low value plastics so that's hopefully where we'd like to see these go is like to be directed towards where there are holes in the existing system to help to to close up those holes
1: yeah amazing i mean that sounds incredible is are there challenges with with plastic credits i know that there's been some controversy around you know carbon offsetting and if people are like double dipping or things like that so Is there the same kind of issues or?
0: Um, I would say yes. And even more, Um, (laughs) there's so many. Uh, It's a really ambiguous space right now, largely because it's, it's fairly new. So there's not a lot of formal, formal definitions and standards for implementation of the programs that would then be offering the credits. Although there are many that are coming out, uh, there's one launched earlier this year from a company called Vera. There's others that are in development, and as I mentioned that there are many organizations who are offering credits and kind of measuring out those out themselves, I think that one of the risks that comes up is is there's you know there is the risk of a focus on short term solutions that um, you know really bring value to material recovery over creating circular systems and, you know, a zero waste future, I think. So we really want to be driving more towards systemic change. And we don't want to let companies or individuals off the hook for, you know, their daily plastic consumption when, when, you know, they're like, cool, it doesn't matter how much I make, I can just offset it. We don't really want that to be the case. So there's some risks there. I think, that that really like i said though there is this huge opportunity for in the places where it isn't feasible right now to stop using plastic to drive value to the places where there isn't value in the market to help to for to help to drive additional plastic collection and and really the onus is to make sure that that's being done right so one of the things that i i say is that a lot of a lot of waste collection in the world is dependent on waste pickers who are the ones who live in poverty and often depend on um, going out and collecting plastic waste for their income and livelihood. There was actually in 2016, there were about 11 million waste pickers globally who were responsible for 60% of global recycling. And so that means that literally our most effective recycling system right now relies on informal workers who are going out and collecting waste and making sure that it gets recycled because they can, they can get value from that, that waste. And so we don't want crediting systems to steamroll over those communities We really want to continue to invest in those systems and lift those people up rather than replacing them. And so I think that that's really key is when you're, if you are looking at the option of plastic crediting or wanting to go wanting to, you know, offset your plastic use, it's really about doing the research and looking at, you know, who's benefiting from wherever you are getting your credits. There's a lot of really cool technology out there that's, that's furthering you know, reduction in, in plastic use or better plastic recovery. But when it really comes to investing in in some of the, the best work out there that's happening in terms of waste recovery, it's really about putting those people first and human-centered and, you know, really prioritizing human-centered solutions. So I would say, you know, make sure to be looking towards those opportunities. And that's where, you know, there's going to be more of this opportunity for this system to be beneficial and, and not just be an opportunity for greenwashing or, you know, diverting the problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is there um, like a a governing body or, you know, anybody that is regulating, you know, because it sounds like it's, it's a, it's a matter of ethics as well, in terms of if you're, if we're incentivizing people who are in extremely, you know, in living in extreme poverty to be picking garbage, like that, Has major effects on their health and their well-being, and you know their communities. You know, live being close to you know these environments where there's going to be garbage close by, or it's it's one of those things where it's like on the one hand it sounds like such an amazing solution, on the other hand it sounds like there's um, there's a lot of challenges with that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I would say you know there. I would say no, there is not necessarily a governing body, but that's kind of where some of the, the opportunity comes in on this is really like, is, is, you know, if, if we are able to better support those systems, um, and recognize that those people, even if they are working and living in less than ideal considerations, or, you know, have poor access to resources and health and safety or education, that the best way to help them is by helping to, um, you know, um, empower their their work and their, and their continue to empower their livelihoods um, and rather like you know and and making sure that we're continuing to serve to serve them through these types of programs and interventions so you know I think one of the things that was really key in the development of one of the the Vera standard that I mentioned that was released was that part of the key conversation was talking to experts who work with these people you know, and and programs that are on the ground, um, helping to organize these workers, helping to give them a voice, helping to get them recognized by local governments where they where they live, um, that those are the ways that like, you know, we need to make sure that that those sorts of solutions are welcome in this crediting system. And so, you know, I think that they did a pretty good job of, of bringing those voices to the floor. And so we'll kind of see how that
1: plays out as things are continued to be implemented yeah i'm so glad to hear that there is an awareness of this and like the human aspect of of this work so yeah that's really, that's really um important. yeah it's important and it's um it's kind of like comforting and uplifting to know that you know we're not just in a place where we're just finding any solution possible you know whatever whatever the outcome may be for people it doesn't matter it's like we are there is an awareness around um you know people-centered solutions so
0: yeah amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I um, I wanted to shift for a minute and talk about how COVID has impacted our plastic reduction efforts. You know, I think that mm-hmm. there's been so much momentum and awareness and people are bringing their own water bottles everywhere they go now. And that's been amazing. You know, New York City banned the plastic bag. And then shortly after that, the pandemic hit and it felt like for many of us, at least like so much of our intentionality around our use went out the window, you know, there's <laughs> been, you know, there's like this panic, everybody was, you know, buying way more than they needed of stuff. And so yeah. we're kind of like, I think we've come out of that. Um, but how has plastic reduction been affected by the pandemic?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, 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 has been real. I remember, you know, early last year just being like, oh my gosh, we've lost so much progress. Um, I mean, and to a certain extent, absolutely. The impact of COVID on the environment and on plastic use has been huge. I mean, the, the, the I think there was a, a study that said that the number of face masks produced, like would cover every month co- would can cover the like entirety of um, Switzerland, and oh, like including all the like the the mountains and everything, which is insane. And so, you know, and I think it's it's interesting because plastic in many ways was seen as almost like this like savior of the pandemic from like Clorox wipes to little, you know, plastic containers of hand sanitizer, all of that, like the the amount more, you know, I'm trying to order ordering takeout to support local restaurants. Like even with this intention of supporting community, there's more of this plastic use. And so it 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 can feel really overwhelming, but I really also think that there has been a lot of, especially as as the you know past year has continued on, COVID has actually really brought sustainability front of mind for many consumers. Uh, the you know the thing about spending a lot of time at home is it gets people thinking about what really matters, and also taking time to learn about what they maybe don't know because there's a lot more time just kind of sitting around. And so I think I've had more conversations with people recently about the environment and that, you know, like they know that I'm a total plastic dork. So they like (laughs) get a geek out on these things. So they come to me and are (laughs) asking me questions, but it's people who, you know, might not have done that any other time otherwise. Um, And I think from a corporate perspective also, you know, in many ways the tide was already turning and COVID hasn't stopped that. Um, you know, I mean, HP is a, is a fantastic example. So they were, um, they have this incredible supply chain in Haiti that's collecting and recycling ocean bound plastic. And they built a wash line to better clean, um, to better clean more material, uh, in Haiti. And, you know, they did it all remotely on zoom, which is, is, just mind-blowing, because it's this huge facility with all this equipment, um, but it's going to allow them to hugely scale their production. They already have more than 50 products on the market that contain ocean-bound plastic material, and now with this this new wash line that allows them to, to have better quality and, and a higher quantity of material, like, they're going to be able to blow that out of the water. Uh, you know, next wave overall, like, the diversion across across the consortium, we saw a 70% increase in ocean bound plastic use over our 2019 numbers in 2020. So even just with the test case of this one consortium that I work with, the momentum is continuing um, and even building. And so I think that's what I find really promising. Is like, yes, there's a lot more of this around but the larger system solutions are continuing to grow. And so those alternatives are still there and are, are are still, you know, getting proven out and being invested in. So I'm not too worried about the future.
1: That is so comforting to hear. Because like, <laughs> seriously, because, you know, we've had entries and I have talked about how, you know, it felt like when the pandemic hit that Everybody just needed to have the things that they needed to have, and we just had to pause our around our you know individual intentionality around you know buying less and buying you know buying in bulk and people you know wanting to support the local economy. So you're you're getting more takeout and it's those black you know the black containers which are not recyclable, all those things. But to have that perspective of you know there's a, a much larger picture going on where momentum is going in the right direction and it is still going and mm-hmm. i totally feel that that the the pandemic has allowed us to have this pause to reevaluate what's important and how we fit into that so thank you that's very very like comforting to hear that um you know because i think sometimes we get stuck in our own little bubbles and so to know kind of the big picture of what's going on is really helpful
0: yeah yeah and i won't deny that, that there's plenty more plastic pollution out there but um but there there's also solutions moving forward so Uh, it's not all just that one side
1: yeah when you think about the future this was one of the things I was curious about when you think about the future is it a plastic free future is it plastics are being used in a different way like how do you envision the future you know the big picture the ideal
0: yeah that's a great and I think that that what's really great is that plastic has a lot of value. I mean, it makes a lot of our world as we know it possible, um, but it doesn't need to wreak havoc on the environment. Yeah, Like it doesn't need to be this destructive force. It, it really is our linear, you know, production and consumption system that, that makes it that this, you know, terrible monster in, in, uh, in a way that's really, you know, destroying our, our ecosystems and, and all of that. I think um, th- absolutely we need to have plastic. We need it in, um, you know, amazing healthcare solutions, in um, lightweighting and reducing carbon emissions. It has a, a role to play in, in helping to provide equitable access to goods. Like there's a lot of reasons that the plastic is really important and does have a role to play really where the problem is, is in single-use plastics, disposability, and this high throughput, I'm stuttering, high throughput. I can't even say it. Oh my God. (laughs) High throughput consumerism. I
1: like really wanted to say that right. Um, I'm not familiar. What, What is high throughput consumerism?
0: It's basically like I don't know. Maybe I invented this term, Um, (laughs) but it's it's just the idea that, like, that you know, like we want to consume a lot of things uh, that lots of things are are designed for, um, you know, to become obsolete. um, Mm. That you know, it's it's about like, okay, how many things can we get people to buy how quickly um you know how disposable is are the packaging that we put it in and all of that it's the it's the idea of of just this this high rate of consumerism and fast fashion and um fast food all of that that um that really is limiting so just focusing actually Instead of on my trouble with my words and more on the optimism for the future, it's it's really like about this opportunity to think about end of life. So, you know, I would say that zero waste, circular economy, and designing after nature really is the way to go. And I think some signs that we'll see of that is things like, you know, um, seeing... It, is everything from more of this recyclability that I was talking about earlier to um, things like seeing ingredients lists on all of our products. So not just thinking about like, what's in the food that I'm eating, but also thinking about like, what's in the stuff that I'm buying? So that you know, like the materials that go into your—I um, mean, your office chair. I mean, human scale is a great example. They're already doing this with their office furniture. Um, in many cases, offering information on the materials that go into each of their office chairs or their desks or their products, um, and the corresponding standards that then those those materials meet. Uh, so I think that's going to become a trend that we see more and more. Um, and You know, then at home, the future might mean that you have a compost bin and then the rest of your like stuff that right now is all just trash pretty much or goes into the recycling. The other stuff is like containers that go back into a reuse system and they're cleaned and sanitized and used again. So, you know, like you got two bins, it's kind of like someone picks up the stuff like the milkman used to, and and the other one is all organics and it's going to compost to also be reused. Like that's, that's what I want to see in the future. Um, where we we just think about things more holistically. Um, and the concept of like something being trash doesn't even really come into it.
1: Yeah, that would be, I mean, that would be amazing if there was no longer a a trash can that was needed, you know, if everything could be reused, you know, or repurposed in some way, it would be amazing. Um, that's such an, it's such a good, it's good to hear the the vision that you have for the future, because I think that I've somewhat naively imagined a plastic free future. And it's good to hear in a way that the future is not so far from where we are now. It's just about, you know, some adjustments and rethinking what we're doing as mm-hmm. opposed to completely eliminating plastics altogether. Um, that's very okay. helpful. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So, um, I think we should head into, oh, there was one other question that we had put down, which is, um, something that you're optimistic about right now before we do the rapid fire. I was
0: so I was like, please, please answer this. Please ask a question about what is good. Cause I was like, I really want to tell you. Yeah. So, um, there are so many solutions out there. So, um, and what's really great is I've been like leaning into, like abundance in this space and really wanting to think about like, okay, there's so many cool things happening, like keep believing in those. So one thing that I'm looking forward to is access to more modular products that allow for easier repair or replacement. And um, Dell Technologies is working on this really proactively. And so they are working on self-repairing technology And they expect this to be available in like five to 10 years, like on the shelf, you know, so it's, it's a ways out, but it's coming where the whole idea is like with your technology. So these laptops that, that we're on all day on our zoom calls, that it's not something that is designed for obsolescence where you have to get it replaced, you know, your cell phone every two years, your laptop every five or whatever. It's that those things are actually made to improve over time. So like, you know, basically that there would be almost like you update your software on your computer to help it keep running. There would be updates that you would run that would also help to improve your hardware. What? And that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And then basically that hardware would continue to function better over time rather than degrading. And so this, it blows my mind. But basically then the, you know, Dell would basically be more of a service provider where they're helping to like you know assess devices, refinish them and put them back into a marketplace in a better condition than when they were made And then like you know removing that stigma of this like secondhand machine that's terrible but but actually something that's still gonna function. So anyway, I think it's so brilliant that they're they're thinking about ways just to make things live longer rather than how to make it you know, degrade more quickly it's really inspiring I can't I can't wait for that one
1: that is really cool that is I mean it, I. it's not my area of expertise at all so I am like my mind is blown I don't know how that would work but that sounds I mean, amazing
0: me yeah I'm just like this sounds cool I don't even know how it would work but yeah please let me do it that sounds great
1: that's awesome wow thank you <laughs> Okay. Well, why don't we head into our rapid fire questions? Are you ready?
0: Okay. I think so.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Okay. We've got 10 questions for you. Here you go. Fill in the blank. I believe in a positive future because.
0: Because I see solutions everywhere. They're right in front of us in nature and um, in our relationships. And uh, all we have to do is bring them to life.
1: Yes. love that. Okay. Number two, morning bird or night owl?
0: Oh, night owl. A million percent.
1: <laughs> so you're like the first person in this whole season who said that I'm a really? night owl. Yeah. I'm a total night owl and I am learning how to be a morning person. Cause literally everybody that we've interviewed is a morning person. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. Our yeah. CEO at Lonely Well, she's also a, a, you know, morning person and she like will get up and, you know, while the house is quiet, and just like, you know, catch up on work. And, and that's when she gets a lot of stuff done. And I'm just like, don't, don't talk <laughs> to me. <laughs> talk that's to a- me at 7pm. I will sit back down and I will write you, yes. you know, my report or whatever. But yeah, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely happier coming back on the tail end of the day, for sure. <laughs> I finally
1: found someone. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, number three, favorite quote.
0: Do you think it's okay if I use a Harry Potter quote?
1: <laughs> yes, we can respectfully separate. I personally like to separate um, the author, who I don't agree with her views, from the work that she's created, which is wonderful and imaginative. So
0: Yes, yes. a thousand percent agreed. Um, so it's a Dumbledore quote. Go for it. <laughs> and uh, it's when he says, of course it's happening inside your head, Harry, but why on earth would that mean that it is not real? Um, I don't know. I just love it. It's whimsical and hopeful and, and deep makes me happy.
1: Yeah. And it's deep. I mean, it totally speaks to how our experience is real for us. And also like speaks to how we create, like we manifest our experience. So totally. yeah, I'm about that. Amazing. Okay. Number four, a book that you read that really stuck with you.
0: I had to say, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, because I think it was pretty much what got me through uh, the pandemic. Beautiful, beautiful, highly recommended. Um, yeah, definitely. Glennon Doyle does just creates magic. So,
1: yes, follow that's... her, read her. It's great. Yeah, I love that. That's a great book. Number five a mantra or phrase that you repeat to yourself. <laughs> this
0: one's new. I, it, I, I haven't been doing it for long because I really just read a book that I got it from, but, um, and it's actually another quote. It's, I don't know is a very good place to start. Um, and I've just been thinking about that. I've been carrying it with me for a couple of weeks. It's a quote from Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Um, and, and it's just, it's so awesome because it speaks to oh, like just how the place to start is like, I don't know. And then you kind of look for solutions. And so when I feel kind of like hopeless or just kind of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like what is even going on right now? There's no hope for the future. It's just kind of like, okay, I don't know is a very good place to start. And then it's kind of like sets me straight on on the path towards like, I'm at the beginning. Let's keep
1: taking another step forward. I love that. Rather than feeling like we have to have all the answers right away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's awesome. Okay, number six, if you could instill one change in the world right now, what would it be?
0: No more plastic utensils and home food (laughs) delivery. (laughs) I have like a drawer full of them. And I think, yeah, just don't just don't give me plastic utensils when you're bringing food to my house. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Have it be something that we can opt in on rather than automatic.
0: Yes. Yeah. The option is important, probably. But yes, the The ability to have it not be automatic would be great.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, Number seven, something you're letting go of. Self-doubt. Something you're inviting more of.
0: I think I have two. Connection and abundance, or like a sense of abundance.
1: Number nine, a message that you want people to hear.
0: Sustainability is for everyone, the environment is for everyone, Um, and we all have a role to play, no matter your background, or your political views, or your career, or, you know, where you live, there's something in it for you, Um, and so finding, finding what works and running with that is, yeah, it's for everybody.
1: And number 10, what does being an optimist in action mean to you? Hmm. I don't know. Looking for the bright spots,
0: I think, and investing in those. Looking for the stuff that's working and continuing to, to move forward with that. Um, yeah, there's just so much potential in, in looking for what's good and what's working. Amazing. I don't know how rapid fire those were, but I, I, I always we did end it. Up.
1: <laughs> we made it. <laughs> I always end up talking too, because there's just so much good stuff in there. So that's totally good.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Uh, thank you so much. This was amazing.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's really good to chat with you. Um, And, and I think thanks for the perspective that you guys bring up and bringing optimism to this, this whole area. I think it's so important and it's got me energized to come back To the work that I do um, from a more positive perspective, too. So thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more
1: listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you
2: with this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?